0: can see this going out now. Philosopher says, nuke the world. That'll be the, the selling point
1: of this oh. podcast. <laughs> We've got our title and caption sorted then. <laughs> Joe Slater. Joe Slater, yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Thoughts. I'm Katie Moody, And I'm Ross Patrizio. In this episode, we talked to Dr. Joe Slater, a lecturer in moral philosophy at the University of St. Andrews. We discuss whether or not we have moral obligations to people in the future and whether or not thinking philosophically about these issues can help inform policy now. We hope you enjoy it. Here are some thoughts on future people. All right, Joe, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking about morality and more specifically morality with respect to future people. We have, we have a pretty good idea about how morality works with people who exist in the same time frame as us, in the same place as us, perhaps. But how can you introduce the topic of morality with respect to people who live perhaps really far in the future?
0: Cool. So when we're thinking about future people, um, we're thinking specifically about people who do not yet exist. So while we're going to be alive in the future, we're not future people in this sense because we are already existing people. We're thinking about people that don't exist now but will exist future. In a lot of our discussions about climate change and politics, a lot of our focus is on these future people. We say things like, we have to save the planet, it's our duty to our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, even though I presume none of us right now have great-grandchildren. We talk about those obligations as if we really do owe it to those people. We do have a a real, genuine duty. But future people are kind of a strange case. Uh, when in comparison to regular people in, in our everyday lives, obligations there. So if you think about like typical obligations you might have every day, so if I go to Ross and punch him in the face, uh, I've done something wrong. I've wronged Ross because I have an obligation not to punch Ross. This is an obligation I owe to Ross, Ross the person. Um, I have an obligation not to steal. I owe it to the people who own the property. I owe them, owe them I don't steal. Uh, if I make a promise, I have a duty to that person not to break a promise. And each of these cases, there are people we can identify, like specific individuals whose interests we harm when we do the wrong thing. A problem with future people is that with our actions that um, might affect people in the future, a lot of our acts are also identity-affecting. So The actions that we take now actually change which people come into existence. So if we have like a really polluting policy now and we keep um, messing up the world in various ways, the people in a 100 years, we might think they could complain that we've ruined the world for them and we've made their lives worse. But actually, if we adopt all the sensible policies, the ones that you might think we should be adopting right now, and we save the planet and it stays more or less as it is. Totally different people would exist. So the only way that these people who exist in you know, the ruined future, breaking everything now, is kind of a precondition for them being there. So they can't say you have harmed us by acting in this way because without us acting in the way we are now, then they wouldn't exist. They can't say their interests have been harmed by us doing the policies we are now because they wouldn't even have interests if we don't do this. So it's kind of a, a tricky situation,
1: uh, which distinguishes it from like, this ordinary obligation. So what, what kind of, I mean, how, how are we thinking of actions that I might carry out now in the here and now that are going to cause existence in the future? Like, are, is this quite now? Or are we talking about just people that are going to, just actions that are plausibly going to affect like my, you know, offspring, my family? directly or is this like butterfly effect type stuff where if I you know move something out in the street there that causes kind of all-encompassing in that way? Good so there are lots of ways that uh, we can say are
0: definitely going to affect like it seems like they're obviously going to the identity affecting. So if we um, have a policy that's going to flood parts of the planet then there are going to be lots of climate refugees, different people are going to meet, different people marry and have children in various ways. So obviously different people would exist then. You might also think that even smaller things that you might do in your everyday life will change which people get to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So this all seems to rely on something which you might call, a lot of people in the literature call the person affecting principle. And that says something like, um, for an action to be morally wrong, there must be a specific person who it's bad for someone whose interests are harmed by the action. And in our everyday cases, it looks like that seems right. Like if you think of any action in typical everyday life, you can think of someone who you've wronged or someone whose interests you've harmed when you do that thing. And even in cases of people in the past, I might say that if, I, uh, if after someone's died, I don't um, respect the wishes of their will. You can say, look, I, I've still... I've wronged them. There's a specific person I've wronged. There's someone who, whose interests I've harmed by doing this. But with the cases of the future people, because our actions change who actually gets to exist, and they couldn't even exist if we don't do these kind of crummy actions, maybe, then it seems like if we buy this person-affecting principle, which seems very plausible in lots of our everyday cases, um, we can't explain what we've done that's wrong.
1: Okay yeah. so is the way to get around to try and reject the person affecting view?
0: Good, so this is um an option that Derek Parfit explores when he introduces the non-entity problem in views and persons, and he thinks that we get into a lot of bigger problems when we do that well, not bigger problems, but different kinds of problems. So the most easy way to um, reject the person affecting view is if we were to say go consequentialist because then we're not saying. We need individual people to be wrong. What really matters for wrongness is the amount of goodness in the world or something like that. And there are a couple of ways that you could, that, that seem like the obvious ways you might do this if you're, a, if you're going consequentialist. You could say you're a totalist. What we care about is the total amount of happiness in the world. Right? If we go that way, then uh, Parvitt gives us this horrible conclusion that he thinks we shouldn't like, called the Republican conclusion. In the Republican conclusion, there are billions and billions of people, all with lives just worth living. And he says that if you are a totalist, if you're a consequentialist of this sort, then there's a number of people um, living these lives just worth living that will be better than the world right now or better than any, like, than a million people living pretty good lives. You just need enough people living these lives just worth living. And Parfit thinks this is just ridiculous and repugnant, hence, him calling it the repugnant conclusion. The other typical way that consequentialists go is go sort of averages. They say what we should care about is the average happiness in our society. He thinks that this also leads to kind of weird conclusions. So, if we have a a world with like a million super happy people, like much happier than anyone in the world right now, um, if we were to add a bunch of pretty happy people. We make the world worse, according to the averagest view. And that seems kind of weird as well. And lots of these kind of little paradoxes that make the consequentialist angle look kind of messy and weird as well. Actually, yeah, if you just think yeah. minimise suffering, then nuke the world. Yeah. Nuke the whole thing. No more suffering. Perfect. Well, that's us sorted then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the world.
1: So just to take start, am I right in saying that... Um, so we're trying to come up with a moral theory that incorporate, that adequately incorporates what we take to be our obligations to future people. So we think we've got some, and we're trying to work out how we can fit this into our theory, which is maybe, let's say, otherwise quite good at dealing with people in the here and now. We have on the one side this problem of non-identity, and then it looks like it's underpinned by the person-affecting view, so we try and get rid of that, and the most plausible way to do that looks like a consequentialist type thing, and then you've got the repugnant conclusion. Are we stuck? Are we missing some other? Are there other some other good-looking avenues there, or is that the kind of situation we're in? Uh, I, it's
0: kind of messy. So we might think that what we really need to do is try to rehabilitate the person affecting you, or try and have something like a person affecting you that does let us make sense of obligations to future people, or try to make sense of obligations about future people without the person affecting you, or without actually saying we are wronging them and both of those options are ways you might go and i think there's something plausible to say for either of those but one way that i that i think is kind of cool that is worth thinking about and maybe doesn't get as much discussion as it should is to think of obligations about future people not actually in terms of obligations to those people but maybe obligations to present people or past people uh, that just happen to be kind of about the future so let me Let me illustrate, so imagine um, we get together and build a library. We think this library is gonna stand for hundreds of years. We want it to be there for children to learn to read and to to enjoy this place, right? We have this project um, which we want to succeed and it's it's a a worthy project. Um, For people to respect us, it, it seems like they would have to treat this project with a certain kind of respect, right? So if, if in like 50 years, someone knocks down that library, depriving the future generations of using it, it seems like they've actually done something wrong to us as well, right? So we could think of a lot of our obligations that count for future people in that kind of way. There are lots of projects that people have engaged in, in the past about trying to make this world a good place for future generations. And if we think that these were projects that we should respect, and these people that we might owe something to, like we're we're benefiting in a sense from the kinds of projects they've been involved in, then we might be wronging them or other like present people who are trying to maintain those projects. So I think we we can think of lots of our obligations in that kind of way. It, It can be a little strange though, because then our obligations to future people. They're not really obligations to them. They're just kind of about them. They're not the ones we wrong when we're ruining the planet. We're wronging uh, ourselves or our, like, other people around like, before us. And that might seem to get something wrong. But with this kind of strategy, we might be able to get a lot of the results we'd like.
1: It seems weird to decide which past goals you would honour, though. Do you know what I mean? Yes.
0: Yes. I think that's, that is right. I think you'd need to fill in some kind of nice story about um, which which goals, which projects we should respect. And maybe if you're going to have difficulty even filling out what these projects are as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can fill in those blanks in a nice way, then yeah, we might get some of the kind of cool conclusions that we like. Another mm-hmm. alternative for something like weakening the person affecting you. And we could mm-hmm. say that... Um, Instead of actually making it about the very specific people um, who do exist in the future, thinking about their role or their position in the world, like um, not just as um, like that specific com- like genetic combination that happens to exist, but um, the person who exists in that place at that time, and um, we might think that as someone in that role, in that position, uh, from that standpoint, uh, they have rights or r- rights against us in that capacity. That's a kind of trickier route, like, um, and Rahul Kumar tries to do something like this. Um, but I think it, it's really tricky, and there are lots of problems with it. But it's another kind of nice way you can try to go to rehabilitate the person affecting you.
1: So would that be something like... Uh... Just to get clear on that idea that you said Kumar is going for, um, like dropping the idea that it needs to be one individual person who's wronged because that causes problems with identity stuff, but keeping the idea that there will be someone in that place, whoever fill in the blank, who is wronged just by being a person and is affected by our actions now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so to go back to one of the kinds of examples that Parfit he was introducing this problem, you have um, someone who's considering having children. And they're told that if they conceive a child today, then the child will be born with a severe uh, congenital disorder that will make their life, um, so it's make it uncontroversially bad. Um, so they in a lot of pain and maybe have to do regular injections, whatever. But then the person's also told if they take a pill and wait, wait a month, um, then the child they produce will not have this disorder. So I think ordinarily people think that if the if the prospective mother has the child now, despite the father's recommendation, that she does something wrong, right? You, can have, you either have a healthy child or you have a sick child. If you decide to have sick child, something kind of wrong with you, or so the thought goes. But they would be different children, right? And this is part of the crux of the non-identity problem. Who is wronged if she has the, the first child, the one that's sick? Who's wrong? Because it can't be that child, because that person... Wouldn't have existed otherwise. Would have been a totally different child if she'd waited a month. Entirely different genetic combination. But so if we go this 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 way, um, kind of is the way that Kumar is suggesting. We're not talking about the specific genetic combination uh, coming together. We're talking about her child, um, and we could say that the person that results has right, has rights qua her child, um, and she could then the child that ends up coming about as a result, could say, look, you've wronged me. It's not that I, this particular combination of atoms or whatever has been wronged by this. It's that you've treated me in this position quite your child in a disrespectful way, and you you owe me better than that quite your child.
1: Well, how does it work? Like, uh, the knows that she will, like, she's got this bit of knowledge that she could do one or the other. It seems like a weird trick to say, well, you can't criticise. You for doing the wrong one because you cause them to come into existence. It's like, yeah, but you were gonna cause one to come into existence, one child either way, and you pick the mean way.
0: Yeah. Um so one one of the tricky things with going this way is that a lot of our choices aren't just choosing between different people who are gonna have the same roles, um, but also we might choose between different numbers of people. So if we think that someone that this the mother at this at this point in time is thinking that oh, my child has this right, this child that doesn't exist yet, um, and in fact could never exist, has this right, then what if she decides not to have the child? Mm. Did that child that doesn't exist and never will exist have this right? If you think that actually, yeah, this, this, this kind of potential child does have the right, then it seems like they have this right maybe to exist. So that seems like a good thing for them. So, okay, she has to have the child. Mm-hmm. but then if that child um if that potential child has the right to be born and to exist then also it seems like as soon as she's had that child there's another potential child she could be having right there right her second child and yeah. she'd be wronging that child if she doesn't have it Ah, oh, and then we're in <laughs> that way madness lies um so exactly how to get around the dere didicto de um Way of carving this up without then thinking that we have duties to create lots of extra people as well it's really kind of tricky
1: yeah i think that's probably probably uh should wrap up about there thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show joe that was really really fun yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it was good chatting to you guys hopefully your editors can do some magic and make this sound a bit clever Um, it it, it will not take much honestly no thank you to everybody for listening and remember you can find us on facebook under thoughts u of g on twitter under the same name and on instagram at thoughts underscore u of g see you all next time